Hello and welcome to another episode of Thinking Critically, a D&D discussion. A podcast where we take a single word or topic and discuss what it means within the D&D 5e and wider TTRPG framework. Each episode, I'm joined by a different guest to dissect a different topic. And today I'm joined by John from the Tale of the Manticore podcast. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, John. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, thanks for having me, Dan. Um, really happy to be here. Uh, so I'm John from uh, Tale of the Manticore, and I have a kind of experimental podcast where uh, I have a hybrid uh, dark fantasy audio drama uh, and a solo D&D RPG game going on. So it's it's kind of half and half, half game, half story. Uh, and I, I have listened to a couple of episodes, and I must say it is very uh, unique. Uh, I wasn't expecting... Actually, I don't know what I expected when I started listening, but it certainly wasn't that, and I was pleasantly surprised. So, <laughs> uh, And again, perfect guest for today's topic, which is story. So what does that what does that mean to you? Story is um I have a, I have a long and um complicated relationship with story. It's something that I've thought about so so often over my life and when we were kind of bouncing back and forth some ideas about what a good uh keyword to talk about would be uh eventually this kind of settled as as just the the best choice not only because um the podcast that I make now is an experiment in storytelling, but uh, it's it's just something that I've thought about so often uh, over my life. When I was a kid, like um, a teenager, and I was kind of, you know, into D&D and mm-hmm. reading all those fantasy novels and sci-fi, and uh, I became quite a big reader. And I used to keep uh, a blank piece of paper as a bookmark in whatever I was reading, and I became obsessed with this idea of kind of cracking the story code because mm-hmm. I understood that uh, there was a pattern to telling a story and effective stories, but I didn't know what it was. And so I would write kind of a plot summary on the bookmark. And then after I was done with the book, I would kind of look at it like a moron and try and, mm-hmm. and discern a pattern. Uh, and I would do that over and over and over with all the novels that I was reading trying to find the the code, mm-hmm. like the story code. And um, I didn't know that that was, you know, a thing or a field of study or if anybody else was interested in in that kind of the architecture of a story. Uh, and then and then later on in life, I discovered things like uh, Joseph Campbell or um, uh, Robert McKee or uh, later on uh, Blake Snyder. I don't know if those names are familiar to you, but all of them have basically made a career out of studying exactly that. Okay. And so when I discovered these writers and these these theorists, I guess, um, that, w- that was a real aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, wow, like I've been searching for this code and these guys have got it on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, no, I, I must admit I am not... Uh literary educated i'm educated in another means so that uh, that's why I'm, I'm particularly excited about today's episode so on that note then about cracking the, the code of the story in my research of this episode i i vaguely remember that there's uh, well I, I did a bit of searching and basically there are seven the, the the theory the academic says that there are seven basic plots that can broadly be attributed to any story so i presume you're familiar with that train of thought you know, there's different theories. Uh, some people would say there's really two, 
there's comedies and tragedies. <laughs> mm. What are, what are the seven? What are the seven that you've uh, come up with? And we'll see if that rings a bell for me. Uh, so uh, this is a uh, they, they get named in a number of different ways, but I saw this mm. th- these particular namings used in a couple of instances. So we've got overcoming the monster, rags to riches, the quest, voyage and return, rebirth, and then the two comedy and tragedy. Interesting. You know what? I have not come across those, yeah. but again, there are, there are a lot of theories out there. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, that's it's it's all interesting to me. So like my my level of understanding, which doesn't particularly bode well for my players, I have to say, is that uh, you know there's a beginning and a middle and an end. That's what I was taught in you know high school, secondary school, GCSE English. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's what I go. always aim for. Is that you know there's a setup, there's some activity in the middle, and then there's a payoff. I think that is is probably about the level that I'm at for a story. Um, in that's in you know the traditional media sense. Now, do you think the same can be said both of the beginning and the middle and the end, and also you know, maybe the two plots, the seven plots, however you want to cut it. Do you think the same can be said or applied to tabletop role-playing games? This is where it gets interesting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll agree with you. And I think that for the sake of simplicity, like that kind of three-act idea of act one, problem, act two, problem gets worse, act three, problem resolved. Mm-hmm. And in a comedy, that means the good guys win. And in a tragedy, that means bad guys die, right? So that's basically all storytelling in a nutshell. Yeah. But does it apply to RPGs is such an interesting question. Yep. Because the answer is kind of yes and no. I don't mean that in a cop-out way. I think it's I think it's fascinating actually the way it the way it can play out. Um because anybody would say that um an RPG is a story. You're making a story. I think nobody would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. But where it gets interesting is kind of in the teleological aspect of it. Like, is is there an end that is already already decided before, bef- you know, um, before the game begins? So if the DM knows that, um, or GM knows that characters are going to go from A to B, and that's a guarantee, then it starts to take agency away from the players mm. and it becomes just a classic story. But of course, games aren't that. They're a negotiation between storytelling and something else. I, I, I don't know. It's a really interesting question. That's why I thought it would be a good topic for us to suss out for a while. A- absolutely. As soon as I started typing my notes, I was like, oh yeah, this is this is going to go far uh, for sure. Um and you touched on a couple of interesting things there around like agency and so on and so on. And there's so many things that are interconnected to this idea of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're trying to tell a story. I, I mean, even that, if you take that sentence, we are trying to tell a story. You're already... Right, collaborative storytelling yeah, is... you're already yeah. out of like, I'm writing a book or I am a script, I'm writing a script for a film. You're already differentiated from typical traditional media by saying that we are trying to write a story and that is the just difference in one word is so unbelievably profound <laughs> uh and that, that's 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 what everyone says isn't it they say it, it's it is collaborative storytelling yeah 
Yeah. But it's a game too. Nobody, nobody would play a game of Monopoly and say we're telling a story, mm. but they would say we're playing a game. Mm. So I, I don't know. This is, this is where it gets complicated for me because definitely a, a game of any, any role-playing game, it is a game and it is storytelling, but where, where's the nexus? I, I'm not really sure. Maybe maybe we'll get to the Nexus in the next uh, 50 mm. or so minutes. Uh, or perhaps we'll move even further away and end up more lost than we begun. But... <laughs> more likely, more likely. <laughs> I consider both of those a success in my book, so I'm, I'm more than happy with either of those outcomes. <laughs> but while we, were, while we were talking now, I was thinking, like, let's just take films. I'm more, I'm more familiar with films than I am with books, and yeah. also games. Yeah. But, um, you know, all, all films, uh, you know, an hour to three hours long, designed to be watched in a, in a single sitting you know they they have you know the production values may vary the quality of acting might vary you know there there are experimental films out there but broadly it's you sit down with popcorn right that that never changes you know you might be sitting in a cinema you might be sitting at home but you're still kind of just passively absorbing content so right. All that theory that we were talking about is is typically applied to literature, but also can be applied to to films. But then, as soon as you try and apply that theory to TTRPGs, it just like it, it, in my opinion, it it can't work. It might work, but really, it can't because I might be playing in in person. You might be playing remote. You might be playing with two people. You might be playing with ten people. You might be playing a one shot over the course of three hours, and you know. Or you might be playing like my campaign, a five-year, two-hundred-session campaign. There's just so much, you know, so many variables at play that trying to apply any kind of kind of best practice or you know storytelling tips and tricks just just always have to be taken, you know, and not not at face value, but at, you know, with a pinch of salt almost. You know, does it apply to this my my own personal unique setup that I have? So as a DM of a, a long-standing campaign like yours, do you think, I'm, I'm sure your brain is constantly um, sort of processing what's going to happen next, where might this go, mm-hmm. uh, where might my players take this, uh, and if they don't, what am I going to do? Uh, but do you have a kind of, what, what should I say, like um, touchstones in the in the arc of the story in your head, like... First, first, this kind of stuff is going to happen one way or another, and then eventually my players will uh, succeed and get to this next stage, mm-hmm. and then succeed one way or another, and then get to this next. So, even even in broad strokes, as a as a game master, do you have a an idea of where it will go or might go, or do you just at the end of every session? Look at what has happened and say, okay, now I can start to decide what happens next. I don't think I could live to that extreme there you just mentioned there like right I, right at the edge yeah right no, at the I, edge I, there yeah I I explicitly move from one week sessions to every fortnightly sessions and that's even with substantial planning was not enough for me yeah. you know and and you yeah. know I'm living a, a regular human being life as well there, there wasn't enough time to make uh you know to, to do compelling planning if if I was literally living you know hand to mouth every two weeks that would be too, too much pressure i think so but that that raises a thing that i hadn't even thought about there like the the, the pressure on the dm to obviously there's always an and a little bit of pressure on the dm to provide us not a service but 
for better or for worse, you feel like you're, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of facilitating other people's enjoyment and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. having that onus on you obviously dictates and, and flavors the kind of preparation you want to do. And I, I just don't feel like I could be doing that justice by, you know, in my opinion, rushing it between sessions. Now you could argue and say that that is the easy answer, I guess, to say like, no, I have to, I have to have some things planned because otherwise, oh, I'd be such a ditz and wouldn't know what I'm doing. But broadly, to answer your actual original question, yes, I have. I, I've kind of structured my campaign as a series of chapters, each with uh, a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, mm-hmm. pl- plug and play to a certain extent. You know, the the design intent was that after I'm done with them, I could write them up and, and somebody else could use them without having to the rest of the the story and the, and the framework and the structure that that sits around it so yes because they've they're about halfway through so they've got about three or four chapters that i know they they will hit well well i, I like to think they will hit uh mm-hmm. who knows what might happen um that they you know when they're off in the distance i haven't planned a huge amount because that would be a waste of my time because God knows the state they're going to turn up to when they actually get there. It could be different party members. It could be the world's on fire. You know, 101 other things could could have happened by the time they actually get there. Right. But I try to make it as as act-based as possible without planning act two, essentially. So I'll, I'll plan uh-huh. act one and, and act three. And by planning act three, I mean that there's a problem. There is a something that is happening something they need to do something they need to get to act two is essentially free reign for them to navigate their way Mm -hmm. from we've arrived in the city and we need to we've heard that something's happening and that's you know then then the rest is on them and see we've already kind of taken another step back from that story structure in that if they decide to not do that and do something else and just completely abandon that then act three is still going to happen <laughs> it's just right, going to happen right. in a slightly different manner that i had you know anticipated them maybe taking so it's weird and very very tricky and it's such a nuanced and complicated topic uh that i don't think gets gets enough time which is, which is why i'm really chuffed that we're doing this episode because it's, you can you can spend so much time talking about you know, encounter building and running intelligent creatures and how to design NPCs and so on and so on. But in terms of like how much story is too much story and should you, you know, should DMs feel compelled or under a responsibility to provide a decent story it is probably, you know, more important in some cases, in my opinion. Yeah, there, there's a big conversation going on right now about failing forward mm-hmm. that I'm sure you've heard, and it it kind of it kind of guarantees that the story will progress in a certain direction, whether or not the characters find the clue or solve this problem or or defeat that uh, adversary, uh, they still kind of move on to the next chapter. But that, in a sense, is a railroad. Mm. It's just it's a railroad with a bit of bandwidth to it. So it's kind of like, yes, you're going to go from A to B, but the way that you get to A from A to B may vary. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of, there's, there's semi 
agency there. Yeah. Yeah. That, and then there's the idea of that, like, um, quantum dungeon, like, yes. uh, some, you've heard of this, right? Yeah, Where yeah. to kind of save time planning your dungeon, um, you, you have a T intersection. If players go left, they encounter room A. And if they go right, well, they still encounter room A. You just sort of remap the dungeon on the fly to minimize your need to plan. Mm -hmm. Again, that's a kind of a railroad and it's just the illusion of agency. So um, I don't I, I feel like players want they they want some story structure. They don't want just a series of complete randomness, usually anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I find that a lot of players will kind of go along. They'll, they'll sense that you have a certain idea and and they want that story experience. And so they'll play into it. You know, oh, you see a castle on the hill. There's smoke coming out of it. Most players will get, okay, the, the game master wants me to go there. And so, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to go and investigate instead of, you know what? No, we're going to just go in the opposite direction. Yeah. There's kind of that that handshake between player, at least good ones, players and game masters, that agreement, like, I, I've made this story for you, so mm -hmm. please don't screw it up too badly for me. <laughs> That's, you, you reminded me of a very good, uh, a very good thought I had, um, I say, uh, <laughs> that I, I was thinking about this the other day, like, that exact point of there's absolutely an implicit agreement between the players and the DMs. Like, always a good, in quotes, character should want to go adventuring. And that's something a couple of my players have struggled with, admittedly, and that's due to poor coaching on, on my part, in that a couple of them, really, if you brought it down to brass tacks, their player characters might not be adventuring. Uh -huh. But we've worked on that, and it's 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 kind of sorted itself out. But... Here's, here's my kind of internal conflict that I'm having is that I love settings and universes that make sense. I love having lived in realistic, in quotes, worlds where wheels of industry keep spinning. You know, I put in my my, my campaign guide just because the characters long rest every day if, you, if they chose to. That doesn't mean, right. you know, the rest of the world stops along with them. And I'm also a fan of trying to distance it from video game tropes so i i don't i kind of hate exposition npcs and i kind of hate like mm -hmm. blindly go and kill seven bandits and, and that kind of stuff um and like the examples you just given of of like that there's a castle burning up on the hill i'm i'm having like super bad co cognitive dissonance because on the one hand i'm like yeah that that's something i would plan and would like to think my players would go you know, they'd work, they'd meet you halfway and say, okay, clearly that's where we want to go. But mm -hmm. the other half of me is, is tearing myself apart to be like, no, that just needs, that can just be someone's cooking dinner. Like it does, not everything needs to be a point of interest, uh, you know, or to, or to further the story. I, I need, I need things to exist in the world that are just, that just are, that just exist, that don't have anything to do with the story whatsoever. I love the I love this idea. Uh, have you um, have you heard of the uh, concept of Chekhov's gun? This is yes, yeah. Okay, despite actually being an English teacher for a, a bajillion years now, I actually only recently came across this um, idea to, mm -hmm. to my shame. But um, for any of your listeners that don't know what Chekhov's gun is, it's this idea that in a story, if there is a castle with smoke coming out of it, or in the case of the actual example. Uh, a rifle hanging on the wall in a room. 
that thing needs to factor into the story in a meaningful way. So if there's a rifle hanging on the wall, that rifle needs to get fired at some point. If there's a burning castle on the hill, that has to matter in some way, whether the players go there or there's refugees or later on we hear a story about a pyromancer, whatever. It's got to matter instead of just having random nothings. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's the idea of Chekhov's gun. And the idea is that you don't, it's kind of a rule that you're not supposed to break. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, in the in the story that I'm making, and and it is a, it is a story. I Chekhov's gun all over the place. <laughs> I intentionally um, seed the story with uh, things that may or may not turn into something later on. Uh, like it's by design. I I know that later on I may need. I may need something. I, I may need a, a direction mm-hmm. or an angle. And so I have a, a small pool of unexplored ideas that I've just kind of dropped along the way. And so in story writing or in script, like in screenplay writing, that's a big no-no. I feel like in RPG, unless you do it all the time, mm-hmm. it can really work to your advantage because Remember that castle that was burning that you ignored and nothing happened? Well, it turns out that that was really important, and here's why. But maybe this is a month or two or three later, mm-hmm. and you can call back to those items, uh, or or not. Maybe maybe it was just a burning castle, and you never hear from it again. Yeah, uh, that that's kind of one of the ways that an RPG is a story, but different from a classical story. At least at least for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And granted, what I'm doing is really weird, but um, <laughs> it, it seems to kind of work out right. And it's something that I'll, I'll just keep on doing is leaving these Chekhov's guns along the way. So that, that's, a, that's a good segue there. And uh, so can you can you explain to, to me and the listeners exactly your process then behind Tale of the Manticore? Sure. Uh, so earlier on, I was asking you if you are kind of like right on the edge of a procedural story. Mm-hmm. And for for live DMs, that's probably impossible unless you're an improv expert yeah. and a genius, because it's just too much. Not only would you not be able to come up with ideas, you, like good ideas, you may not be able to come up with ideas at all. But for what I'm doing uh, with Tale of the Manticore, I can live right on the edge because it's not live. As soon as I don't know what happens next, I can get up from the game table, so to speak, and take a walk and think about it for two hours or think about it for two days mm. and eventually an idea will come and then I can return to the table. And so it is is—it is that right at the edge procedural storytelling, but it happens at a glacial pace in actual gameplay terms. But then when I put the show together, of course, it, it, it's instant because of the magic mm-hmm. of podcastery. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you kind of got a nice uh, middle ground there of having the having the time and the space to to think to be able to ensure that there's no kind of silly errors that I and other right, DMs right. have to make up on the <laughs> up on the spot there there are so many times where you know my first idea was not my best and maybe my second and third idea were not my best and only only giving that time between um, I don't know what, I, what to call them, instances or scenes, mm-hmm. um, 
that I that I get the solution or or I have a problem and I just don't know what's going to happen but then a day later I'll realize oh this has to happen or by the same token um I can avoid a lot of kind of uh, inconsistencies or um continuity problems that if it was live I would just be making continuity problems left and right but uh, given the slow pace of what I do, I can look things up and go back through old script mm-hmm. and and find out what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not possible for uh, at the table game with friends though. And so, kind of back to where we started with the how much how much agency is the right amount of agency? I don't know. Well, I still don't know. <laughs> well, the, the the other side of that coin is yes, although in a, in a live gaming in quotes you don't have that capability but typically players can sometimes be um, not the best note keeping so even if you did make a goof and and Mm. dropped in something silly Mm. like three (laughs) seconds ago chances are strong probably get away with it (laughs) that's right you just gotta dead eye those players (laughs) and insist So back to what you were just saying just then about like, like, oh man, that's such a juicy topic. Like you could even pose it as story versus agency and you could quite, you could quite clearly draw the battle lines there to be like, absolutely. Like here's a story that I have or, or, or I think the harder question is here's a story that I think you will enjoy or that I think is architected in a way that will lead to everybody's overall enjoyment versus nope, the player should be doing what they want to do and obviously as all things in life the answer is usually flexible and variable and sits somewhere in Mm. in between but it's very those are the tough questions that i think a lot of dms especially newer dms ask themselves and struggle with so even me i'm you know i'm thinking about the, the the arc that my players are going through now and perhaps i didn't plan enough perhaps i was just being lazy you know all these kind of negative thoughts going around but i'm trying to think like did i really only set them up for one way to get to a to b could they could they have gone another way maybe i i had an idea of something that could happen maybe it's just i'm just like i'm kind of having this kind of like mild panic anxiety attack about my (laughs) campaign right now but i'm having to remind myself that if the players can't tell, then does it matter in a sense? Yeah, and and, and that's it. I mean, we've all been uh, raised on a diet of video games and movies, and we under, we've internalized story, even if we haven't studied it. We Everybody knows what that pattern is. And I think as a DM, you feel very responsible for telling a good story. But I, I I'm not exactly sure what the correct role of a DM is, but I don't think it's story giver or storyteller mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of um professor professor dungeon master if you're familiar with that youtube channel he he'd been talking about this recently he says that the role of the dungeon master is a conflict provider and then it's mm-hmm. up to the players and the dice to resolve that conflict and and i kind of like that idea that it's not the it's not the dm's story and these are the characters that are in it it, it really is a, a collaborative thing. And I think the element of uh, randomness is also really, really important. And, mm. and that's kind of what makes uh, RPGs so 
friggin' awesome mm-hmm. and so and different from books and movies. It's got a similar thing to it, but there's there's something about a, a game um, that's more satisfying, at least to me. And I, and I think it's because of that possibility for chaos yeah. in a game with a with a with a book. It's something I talk about a little bit in my in my own show, but. With a book, it's always kind of like, how will the players succeed? We know that they will, right? Batman's not going to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he will succeed. So the so the sort of the interesting thing that grips us is how will he finally succeed? Whereas in a game, it really is like, will they? And that's a much more exciting prospect for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree and and since starting dming and playing dungeons and dragons i must admit like serialized tv has become mm-hmm. ever so slightly less enjoyable especially like dra- you know drama shows because mm-hmm. you know if you're watching you know episode three out of seven i'll get maybe you know 60 percent of the way through and then i'll go yeah but i know i know it's going to be okay so I, I, and i've kind of done myself a disservice there because i'm like yeah but I don't really care anymore because I know I just want, I just kind of want to know how they resolve it, not whether they will or not won't, because that's that's a given, which is a you know a different kind of enjoyment, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. It is. It's a different kind. It's kind of like how has this writer made some clever thing so that the end will surprise me and still be satisfying? Mm-hmm. But you know it. You know how it's going to end one way or another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, but but talking about, you know, will the player survive or not, there's been, I've seen quite a few questions recently on Facebook groups and whatnot of people asking, you know, how to do this week around like, oh, I've killed a player. Mm. Should I, I've thought about bringing them back like this, that and the other. And I also hate that mentality. Hate's a strong word, but I, I really don't like it at all because it's like, well, no, they like mm-hmm. that. That's the game, man. If you're not, if you don't want that to happen, then... I, you'd probably have more enjoyment out of a, probably a different TTRPG. I guess it comes down to taste. Like, do you remember? Um, I don't. I don't know if games still do this, but you used to be able to like put in God modes, yeah. and then like, you know, you'd be kind of unstoppable. Yeah. Um, you know, ammunition would never decrease. Blah blah blah. And uh, I never, I never understood that. But obviously, that was popular with some people because mm-hmm. it was a thing. But like, I could never uh, grok why anybody <laughs> would want to play a game that way because that ceases to be a game and just becomes like work. You know, you're just kind of moving through something without any chance of failing. Mm -hmm. I may as well, I may as well be doing the dishes or painting a (laughs) wall or something like that. It's just some, actually I had the same experience with um, Diablo three. Yeah. That, that game I found was like so overpowered that I, I had a character that just shot a laser beam in all directions, mowing down all enemies that came near. Mm. And it was so boring to play after, like, well, actually very quickly, after the sort of the joy of getting the new shiny stuff yeah. had worn off, which was very quickly. Mm. Um, then it was like I might have been doing a, any kind of labor instead of playing a game. Like what? It what am I doing here? This is just, I'm waiting for it to be over. Mm-hmm. How many hours are left in this game before I can say it's completed? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, long story short, I'm with you there. I mean, it's it's a matter of taste at the end of the day. But uh, for my games, 
there's got to be danger. There's got to be consequence. There's got to be risk and gamble. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's no excitement if there are no stakes for me. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that, um, I think you mentioned earlier on, the kind of a conflict provider, that, that is what I was failing to put into words earlier on around my kind of beginning, middle and end and that the end is, is some kind of conflict and then how the players approach mm -hmm. it and, and you know, perhaps the current arc they're on isn't in, in a great example the previous one was very much a here's a couple of spinning plates there's a couple of conflicts going on how you navigate your way through them and around them is up to you the current one they're in is perhaps uh, slightly more linear which is i can i can hear the gasps of my listeners now as i say the word linear but um <laughs> linear right but i i think in my defense and i pull out another kind of trope is that you know um stories need it's, it's like a roller coaster right you need to inhale and exhale you need to have the, the the quiet parts so you can have the bombastic parts and perhaps this chapter of mine is is a, is a mm, a more straightforward part to kind of give them some room to to not have to think too hard about any moral quandaries in this <laughs> in these 10 sessions they can just kind of churn their way through in, in a slightly different fashion hey i've kind of talked myself into into being happy with it now which i guess is great <laughs> <laughs> i'll take that <laughs> Tell me something. Do you ever um, do you ever run published games? Because I always felt like if I had a published game or or a published campaign, I would be highly motivated to uh, make sure that the railroad track was very straight and narrow, mm -hmm. and that you know characters are are gonna get to book two because I bought it. Yep. Gosh darn it. Yep. Uh, so to answer your question, not once ever, and yeah, I, I, yeah only <laughs> only now after these years of experience that I'm, I'm beginning to be able to articulate what it, why that is. And it, it, because it feels like I'm, this is going to sound so mean to those that love people. And I, I don't like if you, people can obviously play and love and, and, and play the published campaigns. I've got no shade, no ill will, no disrespect or anything to anyone. Mm. But, but for me personally, it would feel like me, Dan Lowe would be doing less of a job as, as a DM. If I was to read mm -hmm half the stuff from a book because because in my head anybody can read from a book but to dm well is is a skill and to homebrew well is a skill and one that i intend to continue to hone and and to practice and get xp in but if if 50 percent any percent of the game is reading from a book then it kind of lessens my role a little bit in, in my opinion and i want maybe i'm just being egotistical but i want to I want a big role. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, as long as, hey, if the elephant's in the room, if if you're a DM and especially if you're a podcaster, um, present company absolutely included, <laughs> uh, there's a, there's, you have to admit that there's a bit of narcissism in play yes. there because, you know, we're going on the, on the premise that, hey, my stuff is good enough for other people to call entertainment. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm a bit of a, duality so in, in my professional life i am exceptionally modest to the point of you know imposter syndrome issues um but then when it comes to dming uh, and, and stuff i'm like no i'm i know what i'm talking about well i like to think i do because you know we're however many episodes in my podcast and people still tune in to listen mm -hmm. so i like to think there's a little bit of there that i know what i'm talking about and that you know I'm, I'm doing it my way because my way is is right so you're at like narcissism 
certainly for me in this weird download character study we're doing uh is <laughs> is, is is spot on um but no no absolutely like again the you know the cost is there exactly like you said they're, and they're not cheap you know i know i know there's a million one like absolutely perfect you know uh, non wizards of the coast modules that are not 50 bucks to play and to buy through but even still it's just I don't know. I, there's a place and a time for them, for sure, but it's it's not it's not mm. f- for me. Um, it would it would, yeah, it would it's, it's not for me either. It, it would yeah. feel like I'm performing somebody else's story. Yeah, it's like here's a here's a coloring book. Um, it's been half colored in mm. for you. I'd be like, yeah, I'd, could I could I have the one that hasn't been used? Mm. It feels like it's half done. Uh, yeah, and and for me, a lot of the fun is in the world creation, and so I don't. It's not work to me. It's, uh, I mean, it might be a labor sometime, but it's it's a labor of love to to build that, to build your universe, mm-hmm. and and then of course you can customize it to your exact tastes. So you know, if you prefer something, uh, as I do, a little like lower fantasy and grim, then there it is. You just make it. You know, you tweak it mm-hmm. to your exact preference. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of the another one of the reasons why I've I've adopted my kind of modular structure is that you know mm-hmm. some are more horror themed some are more goofy some are swashbuckling so i can kind of shift mm-hmm. shift it up on the on the fly um so yeah so here's uh another thing that well i say another thing it, it's all intertwined in this kind of mishmash of 50 different issues and things we're talking about but I was in a somewhat interesting heated discussion on Facebook recently around one of these exact things uh, and that the person I was speaking to was adamant. He he was, I would say, probably at the extreme end of the scale of the storytelling school of thought, the kind of reactive to proactive, mm-hmm. as I've, I've coined it. Um, so how, how I'm thinking of this is like reactive is the DM should plan almost nothing and collaborate and improvise with the players pretty much everything and then proactive is no right. i've i've predetermined a couple of things and i wish to guide the players on this journey uh this this person was very ex- like extremely reactive and was like don't plan anything it's a waste of your time and you're you may as well just give them an audiobook at that point right um right. to which i was like well maybe maybe there's games out there that that can operate like that but I, I fail to see how that can ever be you know have a good payoff if you're living you know if the players in the dm are living moment to moment without even you know even a semblance of a big bad evil guy even a semblance of some kind of existential threat until the players somehow it, it, magic one up somehow in, in <laughs> game but then as soon as i you know as soon as you start going down that train of thought of well okay well let me give them an existential threat you can't you are intrinsically locked into at least having some kind of railroads in the the, be, the, the big bad person has to be somewhere they have to exist somewhere physically right and, and there you go mm. you've, you've already got there's a train station there that has to have railroads <laughs> to it <laughs> and then it's pardon me boy and yeah uh I, th- I think there is a spectrum. Uh, so, I, again, I'm always careful to say that it comes down to taste because people get so very sensitive um, for some reason about RPGs and, and what they like in games. 
Um, but I mean, take a take a game like Minecraft. Yeah. It's got a story mode, which implies a not story mode, <laughs> and I and that not story mode is like perfectly fun mm. for a lot of players, right? They just exist in that immersive world. And so maybe that person on Twitter is kind of one of these non-story mode Minecrafters. Mm. They, they just want to be in that world, that fantasy world, that sci-fi world, that other world, pure escapism. And then the DM kind of acts as a virtual reality facilitator. Mm. The DM can be like a virtual reality. They can essentially be that Minecraft engine. Or there's some amount, and I think most... I think most players fall into the some amount mm. of trading away agency for the satisfaction of having story tropes and elements mm. exist, even even though that is a sacrifice because, again, they see the burning castle on the hill and they understand, I'm supposed to go there now. And so, yes, I lose that agency, but oh boy, isn't it going to be exciting to find out what the DM has planned inside that burning castle? Mm -hmm. There's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That trade-off, that exchange, is where the, that is the gold. That is the hardest thing to do, do well, but it is pretty much the basis of the game, in my opinion, as it exists today. Yeah. Yeah. Finding what that sweet spot is, right? Finding that, well, we use the word nexus. So finding that nexus between um, story as horse and story as wagon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, like everybody loves building characters. Like there's memes and stories of I've got a character backlog of 200 people, you know, that I, I'm waiting to play and I, I don't have the games to play them mm -hmm. and, and so on and so on. That means that you know pe people have visions. People have very strongly themed characters with backstories and lives and whatnot. But then, mm -hmm. the moment you start playing with that character, you're making an agreement that you're you're gonna sacrifice some of that theme. You're gonna sacrifice some of your vision for the sake of the story. Absolutely, and I think that's very exciting too. Is to let the events of the game that you're playing inform. The details of that character that's one of the most rewarding parts to me i think some people don't even do that the characters are in a story that's basically like a painting that's behind mm -hmm. them instead of actually being able to influence to use a game analogy again like a destructive environment mm -hmm. like the stuff that the characters do should shape that world yeah and the more the better mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so i guess what what they sacrifice in vision, they can make up for in development. I guess is the the kind of cop out term for, for lack yeah. of a better one. No, I think that I think that's I think that's a good term. Yeah. Um, and on that note, I actually had one of my players. Um, he messaged me recently, uh, and he was like, "Dan, I want to, I want to got an idea for my character." I'm like, "Yeah, go, go on." And again, he's been playing with this guy now for years, literally no hyperbole, years at this point. Um, you know, hundreds, hundreds mm -hmm. of hours of playtime and he, he was a newbie going in cold so again poor chaperoning on, on my part to be like well they knew it was a big campaign but they probably didn't quite appreciate what that actually meant <laughs> a big campaign could have been three sessions mm -hmm. for them um right anyway uh so he's like I, I think that maybe if we can work in a romantic interest somehow which 
struck me as a bit of an odd question because it's like, well, why are you asking me? Like, go out, you know, get your character to go out and find one. I mean, I can kind of dangle romantic interests on the end, on the end of a fishing line for you, but then it's a bit forced, I guess, in a way. But the the root cause of it, so digging a little deeper, the root cause is like, I want, you know, maybe it would develop my character a little bit. And I was like, ah, okay, here's here's where we're at. So you're kind of clutching at something that you you feel like would develop your character. And I said to him, like, don't don't feel forced. It should kind of just happen organically in in the in the yeah. game. Like your character's story should should be their own. I don't want to prescribe anything or or really have too much of a part in in writing that story i can facilitate it and if you happen to take a you know an affection towards an npc then i will most assuredly support you in that but i'm not about to line up 10 different npcs and let you pick which one you want to be romantically involved with because then that is just a bit backwards to me so i said like don't don't feel don't feel forced to have character development just let it happen organically in the world and i said it's like you know some characters might not have any character development but that's fine like there, there are films out there where, where characters don't there are books out there where character that the whole point is that they don't have character development i think the example i gave him was gandalf and lord of the rings and i'm not a lord of the rings expert by any stretch of the imagination but broadly if memory serves he's pretty much the same as he was at the beginning in terms of moral compass worldview that kind of stuff mm. um and that, that's the that's the purpose of that character is is to n- essentially not have any character development, but it, but it serves a purpose. It, it serves the story, you could say. So I think that was a very interesting question he asked because it impacts his the story of his character and and my oh god oh, my story of the of the of the campaign. Whoops, <laughs> scratch that, edit that out. <laughs> Don't let anyone know I said that. <laughs> Lightning bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean, like the the story of the of the wider story of the campaign. Um, so you know, to to get back to that nexus point, what we're talking about is incredibly tricky. And I've I I, I fight with myself with that daily in in the campaign I'm playing in. If if you re- if I really sat, if I could sit across the table from my character, unburdened by any TTRPG pretense, and said would you be doing this? I'm fairly certain his answer would be no. And it's that concession there that characters have to make, which is hard. It's hard to do. I've struggled with this a lot. Yeah. Mm. Because why at any point, why do the characters not go, you know, a safer way to live my life would be to not do any of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've 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 found a bag with a hundred gold pieces in it. I'm gonna go retire yep. now. Why in the world would I continue? Mm-hmm. It's madness. So yeah, that's something I've because for me, like um, suspension of disbelief is a very fragile mm-hmm. thing. There there are so many things that can shatter it. We could have a whole episode just about <laughs> that, but I, I won't go into it too much. But one of those things is exactly what you're talking about. The player has to be motivated to do whatever is next. So I, I, I do find that, um, I won't say storyteller, because I don't want to get struck by lightning the way you just <laughs> got struck by lightning. Uh, but as a DM, that I must provide either 
something that is pushing players or something that is pulling players. Yeah. Like at all times, that must be there. And that, and that is my job to provide, I think. Because as soon as it goes away, then really they're just wand- they're just wandering around aimlessly and, and, and then the immersion disappears and the illusion vanishes for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is good. I've, uh, you know, it's good to know that it's not just me that struggles with that kind of that internal debate. But it's not even as extreme as like I'm risking, it it doesn't have to be as extreme as I might die if I do this. It's even just like, Mm. the the example I want to give is that currently um, in the campaign I'm playing in the actual play podcast is there's a uh, Coliseum and there's a fighting tournament. You know, fairly typical fantasy RPG stuff. So you rolled into town and the DMs put together a, a fighting competition because I, it's fun. I get it. It is fun for us. It's fun for the listeners. Yeah. It's, you yeah. know, it kills time in, in, in the show. It's, you know, it can be a vehicle for some exciting combat and so on and so on. And although I, you know, I role played, I'm playing a super fragile wizard, right? Who, who I'm into mm-hmm. books and learning and being away from people and fighting. So I, I role played the like, guys, I don't... <laughs> I'm going to be scared if we do this. Please protect me and don't let me die. But it was that 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 was the really the question that that was the tricky thing for me to be like really he he'd have just been like no no way you guys can go and do it like the the paladin oath of glory who lives for that stuff like guys I know you're going to have the time of your life in there you you go and do that I'll just sit back but that ties back to that implicit thing of like no we're, we're here to <laughs> play together and to have fun and and the, the coliseum fight is part of the story so i guess my wizard will go along but it's that sacrifice mm. i guess it explains why games like iron sworn have like the iron vow as the as the story driver uh so you know your character vows to do something and then there is constantly a a pull mechanism because there's always an unfulfilled oath and so in that game i think that's how it works you just go from oath to oath to oath and it's it's episodic mm. that way that i think that works yes yeah i'm not sure if your if your character would have that <laughs> if that would work for your character <laughs> at the moment i think i've got a, a tenuous enough link there to, to to keep him going with the current party and stuff so at the very least he has a vested interest at this point so there is you know there, there are arguments to be made but considering how uh, lethal the tournament was made out to be, he probably would have said no. But it's th- those kind of uh, microsecond sacrifices of agency and theming and vision to better serve the story, or maybe not serve the story, depending yeah. on you. That that is the ne- that is the nexus of storytelling, I think, both from the DM's point of view and and larger for the for the players. Yeah. So if the DM has set up this tournament and it's it's going to be fun. You know, it's going to be fun and it's going to be exciting for listeners. If the player says, you know, my character wouldn't do this, so I'm not going to, then it might be more believable from, uh, you know, a, a story perspective, but it may not be for the, for the best overall. Mm-hmm. So maybe, but maybe there is a third option there where um, the DM or maybe the character even can find a reason that they have to participate. Mm. It could be, I don't know, revenge or ambition or something. They, I think there's a solution there. Um, again, on the on the fly in a game, that can be really hard to come up with. Absolutely, and so yeah. If you have the benefit of time to think, 
then I'm sure there's a, a solution there. Mm-hmm. So I want to uh, before we start to close out, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the, your own podcast mm-hmm. and how the because if I understand correctly, is it just yourself then that's kind of the uh, storyteller in this instance? <laughs> it's just me, and I, I try and make it as close to a real game as possible. It's um, it just kind of dips in between having like a, a game master hat on and then telling the events of a real game that I actually do play, mm. uh, but in narrative. So the way it works is I'll, I'll play a game solo and then I'll kind of write that as a script. Okay. So instead of saying, you know, like, um, I check for traps when you're in the room, uh, or my, you know, my character carefully checks for traps, I'll say, you know, uh, Aradine, uh, bends down and inspects the chest carefully. Mm-hmm. And so it's just really becomes a third person retelling. Yeah. Uh, but there are some big differences in that I'll, I kind of lean into story elements that are impossible in a real game. Uh, Cause I realize like I lose something in doing it my way. There's no spontaneity. Uh, I can't have real reactions. So if I roll a natural 20, when you hear that happening in the show, that's me reproducing that feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a 20. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Uh, but that happened four days ago, you know? Um, so that gets lost. But there are a lot of things that I realized as I was kind of feeling my way through it because it really is experimental and there's there's very, very little that exists out there uh, like it. Uh, I realized I can do things that gamers can't do Um I can I can lean into dramatic irony in a certain way. Uh, I could do things like flashbacks, mm. which most games you can't pull that off easily. No, um, but in in my game, I I can I can have a flashback, and um, I can develop character in in layers that way, or even play around with timelines so that you know um, if I reverse the order of things for a more dramatic effect. Uh, these are all things that are impossible in a game, but in um, in what I'm doing, it, it works really well. And actually, I'm still learning kind of new ways to explore the mode of gaming. Mm-hmm. It's hard to talk about because it's still new. I've, I've been doing it for a little over a year now. And so I've, I've discovered a lot of things that work and that yeah. don't work, but there's still a whole lot of things out there that I've that I've never tried before. Mm. So when you're when you're playing it, as you said, you, you kind of mm-hmm. a dry run, although it's not the dry run, it's the actual play, but you know what I mean? Yeah. When you're actually playing it, then I suppose you're you're the DM and the players in that instance. How can you how does that work then? How how do you get I guess you can't be surprised by any twists or revelations? Yeah. So that's that's part of the um that's part of what it gets sacrificed. So uh, recently, for example, there was a just a classic Dungeons and Dragons riddle, mm-hmm. and I I made it up, and but I also knew the answer because I made it up, and so I had this predicament where both the DM and the characters know the answer, but I have to play it out as if the characters don't. Yeah, but I didn't want to just kind of go through a song and dance routine where uh, the players hum and haw, and eventually they just get it. That didn't feel genuine. So here was here's a ex- really good example of this is breaking new new ground, how does one approach this? Actually, what I did was I reached out to another uh, 
RPG uh, personality like you. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, would you kind of play my character for five minutes? I'm going to give you some information. You tell me what you think they would do. And then I'll just kind of cook that into my story. And, and so that's how I handled that particular situation. And it, and it felt satisfactory, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it really depends case by case. What's weird to me is that the conflicts that you might imagine would come up all the time, they don't. The story, I said story, <laughs> lightning bolt just struck me. That's very painful. <laughs> um, the game, the story, whatever, um, it actually just writes itself. I'm almost never, like there's no such thing as writer's block because it's not a story. Uh, I don't have to get from A to B. All I have to do is think what's next logically or what's next, roll the dice, that's what's next. So I roll for, you know, weather, is there a random encounter? I don't use an oracle, although you definitely could use like a mythic or something like mm -hmm. that. Uh, some people do that. And I think that's, those are effective and, and brilliant tools. I, I just wasn't aware that they even existed when I started. But to be honest, the game plays itself very, very, very much like a regular at the table mm. game, just with a lot less joking. <laughs> and so if if there's one real big difference, it's that the tone is consistently grim. That's another thing that's really hard to do with uh, in a live situation because you're there to have fun, you're there to joke. Yeah, um, It's hard to tell a horror story and keep it scary because people are just doing fart jokes all the time. But if you're on your own, you can really commit to, you know, if, if it's going to be a horror scene playing out, you can really commit to that. Mm. Mm. It's, it's, it's a very, you, you say it's experimental. I think that's a, a pretty, justified description of it it is very unique i have to say it's it's i would never have thought of it myself um uh, for, for take, take that in whatever way you see fit <laughs> but it is uh it's it's a product of the pandemic actually just just as you were talking about with your mm -hmm. show it's um it's completely a product of the pandemic i probably would have tried to find other people except that i mm -hmm. couldn't there was a pandemic mm. well i'm i don't want to say i'm glad that you didn't find other people because that has quite grim implications, but I'm, I'm the output is, is very impressive. I have to say. So, um, is, is there anything else? Well, I mean, the answer is obviously yes, but, uh, within the scope of the next couple of minutes, is there anything else that you, you really wanted to talk about? Anything that we might've missed? Well, we've already figured out that the pandemic was a good thing. So uh, no, that was, no, that's no, the don't main quote me on that. Don't quote me on that. That's the, that's the main, that's the main piece. Uh, I think I had a bunch of notes, um, and I, we've gone through kind of all of, kind of all of them. I, I still don't know that we've figured it out exactly. Um, like where is that sweet mm. spot between, um, prescribed storytelling and absolute total agency. Mm. And, and I think we have to agree that depending on who your players are, they might just want a forever hex crawl yeah. and it's random tables and you're you basically your job as the dm is to be physics mm -hmm. and that's it <laughs> you're you're the virtual reality but i think a lot of a lot of people like to move along the spectrum and maybe 
from game to game move along that spectrum. Sometimes pure randomness is fun, but then other times it might feel more satisfying to have to feel that you're involved in a structure. Nobody ever wants to feel like they're on a railroad going through a ride at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. But I think to borrow some pieces of track to torture that metaphor, <laughs> if you have some pieces of track and then big expanses of freedom, I think that that can that can make for a better game. Not always. I think by and large, I'm definitely of the... Um, the same school of thought as the professor dungeon master, the DM's job is to create conflicts. The players solve the conflicts. And I think that 99% of the time, it should be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, right down to like, I would never fudge a die roll, even for the sake of good story. Never. It would just ruin everything to me. Uh, but some, pe- some people would disagree. Yeah, so, some people would disagree and that's their game and that, that's cool too. Well, for those listening... And yourself, John, who wants to hear more about that? I do have an episode uh, back in season one on that exact topic, on, on, on fudging dice, yeah. where we talk a lot about that and what it means to, you know, undermine the the purity of the story exactly for that reason. Um, mm. uh, t- two closing thoughts on, on my point is that that, what you were just discussing there about, you know, where on that sliding s- scale this particular campaign yeah. is going to sit, that, that stuff often it can't you know it can't even come out in a session zero like you can't even if you have that session zero you get all the safeguards in place you get all the good session zero stuff in place to say this is the kind of game that it's going to be so Mm -hmm. on and so on you can't get out of that how well a player is going to make their adventurer want to adventure adventure you can't get out Mm -hmm. of a player how much they're willing to sacrifice of their character's vision for the sake of whatever story there might be pre-planned. Likewise, you can't, you know, you, you can't tell. Uh, the, the DM might say, I've got conflict and it's your job to resi- you know, resolve them. That's, you know, that's setting the scene in session zero. You you, you can't get out that the DM is going to be maybe super strict or, or super freeform and the conflict actually rolled for on a table. You can't, you can't tell that 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 mm-hmm. is where, I think a lot of games have their issues is even with the best intents in mind, Session Zero can't do it. There's you just one of those things that you just have to play and find out and and everyone has to flex a little along the way to make it happen. Yeah. Well said. And and I think that's not a bad place to wrap up is that there are different types of players that want different things out of the game. And so we've talked about a sliding scale and where is the sweet spot? And it probably varies from player to player and even from session to session. And so maybe you'll never find it, but in getting close, you can have some pretty kick-ass games. Perfect. Perfect to end on that. Well, thank you ever, ever so much for your time and your and your input today, John, on, on the topic of stories. Thanks for having me. I'm a I'm really enjoying your backlog, by the way. It's uh, I I listen to a lot of podcasts, and uh, uh, I've really I'm really just happy that I found yours. Ah, thank you so much. You've made my night. Thank you. Um, is is there anything you want to plug or promote? Let's see. Do I have anything to plug? <laughs> hmm. Think think really yes, hard I do, about it. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, if you uh, if your listeners enjoy 
or are curious about uh, old school or dark fantasy or the so-called grim dark uh, classic D&D kind of experience, or if you'd just like to hear an experiment in storytelling uh, kind of go off the rails and maybe sometimes back on the rails, um, then you can check out Tale of the Manticore. It's a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, as usual, all the links will be in the description. Otherwise, all that's left to say is one final thank you to John. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, everyone, for listening at home. Please find me on all my socials. I would love to talk about story with anyone and everyone. Otherwise, thank you all for listening and good night. <laughs>